Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Prada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And we are starting, uh, well, it would be part two. Uh, we'll, we don't really know how long our discussion on unity and diversity is going to go, but we're, we're entering, to, entering into our second uh, episode on this topic of unity and diversity. And if you didn't listen to the first one, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to that first episode where we talked about unity and diversity. And really what we did is we just set the stage. Uh, or we could say we we introduced you to the problem that we see in our world right now. This reality that, hey, we actually notice as human beings uh, profound unity in this universe. And we actually feel within us a desire for unity. Y- you know, with other human beings especially, we want to be united. And we see this in the world right now. Uh, we see that disunity in the world right now, and we see how people are, are striving to, to fix the disunity and make it a unity. Um, this is in the world. This is also in the church. And so in the church, we have this reality that we are a unity, um, and we, we hear these things. We hear people say, oh, but we want more unity. We want to see unity. We are praying for unity within our church or among Christians. And so like, what do you mean by that? What is that? What does that look like? And so we really just set the stage for this topic of unity and diversity. But again, if you haven't listened to the first one, go back, listen to it. It'll really help you out because right now we're going to transition into more of the doctrine and the theology of unity. So here's the deal. Unity is indeed a biblical doctrine. The Bible teaches us true things about unity. And, I mean, that really is what doctrine is. The doctrine really is just true things about a specific topic or a theme. So in the Bible we have, let's say, the doctrine of marriage. What does the Bible teach us about what's true about marriage? And we call that doctrine of marriage. We have the doctrine of salvation. What does the Bible teach us about how we are saved or the doctrine of God? What does the Bible teach us about who God is? So we there is this thing called the doctrine of unity. There is The Bible does teach us things, true things, about unity. That's really what we're going to get into today, to, or in this discussion here. But before we get into that, almost as a, an introduction to that, we're going to talk about this this reality that for, oh, really for all of human history, and especially we see this with the philosophers, they, you know, philosophers, they get this knack of being observant, and they observe their the universe that they live in. They observe their surroundings. They think deeply about reality and what's true and what's not true, and how do we know what we know and all that stuff. And so they've come into this conundrum where, hmm, they perceive this unity. There's this unity in the universe. Yet at the same time, they also perceive this diversity in the universe. And they can't quite put those two things together in their minds. And they just has just racked them for thousands of years, all these philosophers. <laughs> and some famous philosophers have come up with different theories, um, especially Aristotle and, um, and um, oh, why am I forgetting his name now? Who? Uh, Plato. Yeah. Uh, but this is just a reality that has been going on for really throughout human history. Uh, and Dan really has been thinking about this a lot, done a lot of study on it. So I'll just hand it over to you, Dan. Uh, enlighten us on this this unity and diversity uh, issue among the philosophers and among the world, really. Yeah. Well, that's a whole discussion unto itself. Yep. Um, 
it was a big issue for Francis Schaefer. He talked a lot about this. And so, um, you know, listening to him and teaching a lot of his stuff over the years, I mean, I'm just like, yeah. He's way beyond me, but, like, I loved his sure. stuff. And he was trying to make an emphasis of this. And, and so uh, the simplest way is if you were to go to your Wikipedia right now and look up um, the painting by Raphael of, yeah. of Athens, the School of Athens. So if you just go yeah. to Google, you Google the School of Athens, you see Wikipedia, pop it up, and you'd see this really beautiful uh, Renaissance art from about, yep. uh, you know, 1510, somewhere in there. Yeah, and it's this painting of all of these philosophers gathered together. Yep. Okay, and so our intention isn't to get into all of that, but the the center of that shows two key philosophers. Yep, uh, uh, Plato, who was tra yep. trained by Socrates, and Aristotle. Yes, and, and the difference in those two is Plato's pointing to the sky, if you will. He's pointing upward. And Aristotle is pointing downward. Okay, now that's simply to say this. Sam already introduced to this idea of unity and diversity, this conundrum. Okay, so here's the conundrum. I try to describe it different ways. But like you and I go out into a world and we look and we say, wow, um, there's all these different leaves on a tree. And there's different branches on a tree. And there's all these different trees. And actually, every single leaf is different. Every little, I mean, like, there's no two leaves that are exactly the same. There's no two branches exactly the same. There's no two trees exactly the same. Except, isn't it kind of fascinating, like, all trees do the same thing. For the most part, anywhere you go in the world, a tree, a certain kind of tree, does a certain kind of thing. And so on one hand, there's this unity of trees. They all do the same thing. And yet, at the same time, it's complete diversity. You know, why, mm -hmm. isn't, why is there not just this cookie cutter of the same tree and the same leaf and the same branch every single time. Yeah, clones. Yeah. Then you take that further and you say, not only are there all these different kinds of trees that all do the same thing, throw in their birds. <laughs> yeah. and, and all birds seem to land in trees and make nests, even though every <laughs> nest is different and every bird is different. And you keep going and pretty soon you're looking at a universe, universe, unity, <laughs> that's actually this incredible symphony. Mm. Think of symphony. It's like these are all diverse things, but they actually sing together. They actually mm, work together. Is. They There's actually harmony. they're in harmony. They fit together. It's not a yep. the opposite of that would be a cacophony of just <laughs> chaos. There's there's order. It all fits together. All these things oh, fit together. Man. Okay, so it's a fascinating. You're looking at this incredible diversity of all this stuff, and yet it all fits together. In a unity. Yes. See, that's the idea, okay? <laughs> humanity is the same way. Like, you look at humanity, and there's all this diversity. Sam and I look different. Every cell of our bodies are different. On and on and on we could go. Languages, cultures. And yet, if you walked into a room 1,500 years ago, you'd say, well, there's a person. There's a, <laughs> Actually, you'd even say, there's a male, and there's a female. There's a human yep. person. Oh, that's a dog. Oh, that's a plant. It would be very obvious to you. And no matter where you went, in all place and all time, you would see this humanness, this humanity, that you would be the pattern, if you will, that all is the same mm. humanness. And yet, you would see all this diversity. Does that make sense? Yes. So, 
these philosophers are trying to think this through. Like, where does this come from? And can we draw one circle where we bring the two together? There where you is. could one circle of knowledge where the two, university, uni, universal, univer, unity and diversity come together. Yep. Another way to think it is you got these universal. It's called transcendent ideas, like humanness. Behind yeah. Sam and I right now is humanness, this larger pattern or construct called humanness that anywhere you go, you'd see it. Well, where does that pattern, where does that unity of humanness even come from? Right. You know, if you took a bunch of chemicals and shook them up in a bag somewhere and <laughs> they fell into a pond, would you end up with this what? consistent, <laughs> would you end up with this universal transcendent humanness? You know, it's like, right. Well, <laughs> where's that pat? where's well, that thing come from? Well, we even we even say like, oh man, that dog's kind of acting like a human. Maybe he's laying on the couch with his head on the pillow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or right. he's giving you the he, he he's he's you yell at him and he looks like he's pouting and you just like there's something about the emotion of that dog where you go that's he's acting like a human. Right. And you're compa- humanness. Right. You're comparing that to this universal pattern of humanness. Yeah. And the universal exactly. pattern could be a fancy word we call transcendent. It transcends yes. all place, all time. There's the pattern. There's yeah, the universal. Like, I look at a sunset. That's beautiful. I look at this waterfall. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, what's this transcendent beauty that I'm right. speaking so, to? So at the same time, then, you have all these individual particular things. Yes. Sam's there a particular human. I'm a particular human. Yep. So can I draw a circle of knowledge that pulls both of those together? Right. Uh, sometimes it was called the one and the many. Same idea. Yep. Universal unity. Okay, versus yeah. the many. Or the, yeah, the universals or the particulars. Particulars, right. That would be in a, that's how Schaefer used to talk about it. Yep. Uh, the, the universals and particulars. If you ever watch his series, How Then Shall We Live? This is what he was trying to get at. This is what right. these philosophers were always after. They were always trying to figure this out. Okay. Well, the conundrum came is they couldn't quite figure it. So that painting, if you go to that painting, it's a fun painting to look at. Raphael, Raphael you have... Plato in the center pointing upward, which is the universal, the transcendent. And through yep. through the transcendent, he thought you could figure out all of life. Sure. On the other hand, Aristotle's emphasizing the particulars. He's pointing down towards the ground, meaning like these things here in the particular, we can get at the real answers to life. Sure. But they couldn't quite figure how to bring the two together. Okay, so now I'm jumping through a bunch of big hoops. I'm not pretending I'm um, uh, uh, a PhD philosopher with 10 PhDs after my name. (laughs) I think most people listening to this can kind of get the point. Here's the beauty, and I do find this interesting, and it's a different discussion. But if they ever thought they could find this unified circle where the two could come together, they actually called it the Logos which is a kick. Uh, the, the Greek philosopher said, oh, we're looking for the Logos. Logos. Well, <laughs> isn't, isn't it fancy, fa- uh, fascinating then? We have John chapter 1 talking about, you know, who is this word with a capital W in your English? Yeah. The word yeah, yeah. that always existed, that always showed up, the final answer, the final voice yes. is the Logos. That's actually the word in the Koine Greek. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I'm not... I'm not going to venture further in saying, well, he was trying to pretend he was a Greek philosopher. He's just making the point is that in Jesus is the final word, the source of all this stuff. And then yes. you find this philosophical discussion fascinating 
because what we have, when you think about think about this now, we say as a human person, I'm both an actual physical body, a particular, yep. and at the same time, I'm something that's immaterial, that right. you can't sing, that you can bring together in one circle. Something you can't see, my mind, my spirit, at the same time, my mind and spirit and is is encapsulated or or, or uh, what's the word sheltered in this body that's going to go away and my bible describes this so the thing you can't see the transcendent the the, the immaterial yep, com- yep. comes together with the material in one circle and my body and my bible actually explains it to me that i'm right. an eternal being while at the same time i have a body yep. and of course the supremacy of that would be think about it is Jesus fully man, fully God? Yeah, it's like no, they're both they're both here in a circle, one circle. Right, they where they both right. fit. The scriptures were actually written by men on yep. real real parchments, real pieces of papyrus, whatever they were writing on, but what carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right, there's real verbs, real words, real Greek language, but at the same time, completely carried along by the supernatural, unseen world. Yep, absolutely God breathed. God breathed. There it is. Uh, the church, the church actually, which is what we will get to now that we start talking about unity eventually. What is the church? Well, it's actually a real body of real people who come together at the same time. It looks like this mm. human institution. Well, sort of is. It has people making decisions and setting up chairs and doing all sorts of things. <laughs> at the same time, behind that is a supernatural reality that's absolutely right. real. That's real. It's real. And so... The point in all of this is, is that once again, we started in the first one, is is because we're created in God's image, we would make the case that there's things written on our heart that you can't get rid of. Humanity's always looking for unity and diversity. And even these brilliant academic philosopher guys saw it kind of in this philosophical academic discussion that sounds really yep. heavy. But they were after the same thing. Like, how can you come right. together and make sense of this? And the brilliance, the brilliance is Christian theology. Yep, there bring, it is. Brings them together. Yep. And this is why, you know, you could go to whatever the number is. I've heard a variety of numbers, but say the first 130 universities in our country, 123, 124, 125, I don't know, but they were grounded in Christian theology Yeah. here in the West. Well, why? Because Christian theology brought the unseen world and the seen world together in a circle of knowledge that made sense. You could bring the two it's incredible. together. You could, yeah, it's, it's, incre- incredible. it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And you can bring the two together and you can go, no. Now, that doesn't mean I know all the answers and the mysteries of the universe. Nobody does. Uh, it doesn't mean... Except my, God. <laughs> well, yeah. And it doesn't mean my Bible is exhaustive and tells me everything. Right. But, it, but it certainly gives me this, this clear picture of Christian theology right. that, like, as we're talking right now, I'm a real man with real hands and a real body, but there's something beyond this dust that's going to deteriorate and it is deteriorating right now. There's something about me as a person that right. is immaterial and real. Your and soul. I, my soul. We could talk about my soul, my spirit, my soul. Well, even and even think about this. Even think about just identical twins. The same exact DNA. Yeah. Yet... They're two different people. Two different persons. Maybe That's have the, the most yep. unity that any two human beings on earth could have. Yep. They're, they have the same exact DNA. Yep. Materially, they look the same. Yep. Boom. Two different people. So. Two different personalities. So the the beauty of this is I think what we're saying is even philosophically, uh, looking for university and diverse, or unity and diversity. Yeah. 
an answer for that is Christian theology. Yes, exactly. And now we segue into the fact again, back to the book of Acts, <laughs> yeah. right? Where, yeah. where that's the picture, folks. I mean, this is, it's kind of wonderful, enchanting to realize like, here's mankind running around trying to figure out how to get unity out of diversity, particularly in, within humanity or the, the a culture or yep, yep. The, the human experience. Right. And all of a sudden you have this thing called the gospel. This, this Jesus who was fully man, fully God, fully Messiah, fully God, shows up and establish this is this thing that's so supernatural at the same time it's very real on the ground earthy if you will mm. called this body of people called the church and if you just read through the book of acts and think through what's happening there on every level you know it's bringing men and women together it's bringing uh, different types of men together it's bringing different cultures together and every time right. they come together how do they come together in this thing called the gospel Right. Which is really the gospel is the proclamation of Jesus, the work of Jesus, right. what he did, right. why he did yep. it. You know, I mean, a message gives, with content. Yeah, content and real knowledge. Again, that's a big discussion itself, but we have real knowledge, knowledge given yeah. to us from God. It isn't just yeah. my, my personal subjective feelings, it's real knowledge. So God right. brings this real knowledge, content, drops it amongst these people, and wherever this thing goes, it draws these people together in unity while, here's the beauty, while maintaining their diversity. There it is. They don't lose their diversity. They don't, they don't yep. all become one cookie cutter thing. And, and this is the thing, again, back to theology. And this is why we see this all over creation is because back to the most fundamental presupposition that Dan and I believe in. And it's the triune God, the eternal existing omni-God who has spoken. He exists. He's never been created. He, he, he is preeminent in all things. That God is a unity and a diversity in his very nature. And that's why the Trinity is so fundamental and why Christian theology answers this question that we, that we have when we look at the universe. Because God is one God. The Bible is extremely clear on this. He is one God, one unity, completely united, but he's revealed in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Yep. And they have different roles. I mean, and, and we see the roles in salvation very clearly. Uh, the Father, he is the one that, it's his will. The salvation is his will. And, and the Son is the one who actually wins salvation for uh a lost people. He's the one that does the work of living a righteous life. He's the one that takes the sins on his shoulders and, and faces the wrath of the Father for sin. And then the Spirit is the one who who, who uh, really apportions the salvation to individuals who are or makes it effectual for them. He's the one that changes their heart, makes them alive when they were dead, uh, gives them faith, and then sustains them in their faith because he seals them and indwells them. And, and so... You have different roles, but there's still one God. Yeah, which three will persons, which will let, which will lend itself. I don't want to get ahead of it, but lends itself to the beauty of what we've been given. Where we're going to end up here is that God has created a people. Yeah, that are all persons. Let's go back to the beginning of creation: Adam and Eve, right? Right. And Eve's actually created out of Adam. Fascinating enough. So he, she is fully human. 
fully individual human, yep. while Adam is fully individual human. Individual, yep. Again, we said in the first session, I think we said, every cell in her body, every DNA is different, XXXY. And yet, and yet, think about it, folks. Amazing. They fit together. Yeah. They fit together. Exactly. And, uh, and every term of that word, think about it. They fit together. And out of that, think of this now, out of fitting together, they actually produce life. Yeah. Procreation. Not, another I, I, another image bearer of God who is united yep. in this humanness as another image bearer, but also completely different, a new individual, a new person, unlike any other person that will ever exist. Right. So it it's is crazy. It, it's and then and then children come into the picture, yep. and you got this thing called family. You want to go profound? Yeah. Like like <laughs> yeah, like like. like oh, I don't. I mean, just we can let people ponder it. But think about it, folks. You got this unit unit that's this unity. Yeah. With complete diversity, and yet they are all tied together by DNA, by blood, yep. by spirit yep. in a spiritual way that's beyond comprehension. Uh, people experience this when they actually, you know, the, 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 the woman, the mom in a home, actually, you know, I've, I've got kids now that are now, now starting to have kids. Yep. And it changes you. You're like you're holding this little person and you go, what, wait a minute, I'm part of something really big here. Yeah. And everybody knows crazy. it. Again, everybody sort of knows it. Well, they don't know what to do with it sometimes. It's you know, that's why people call about birth. It seems like this miracle. Well, it is in a certain way. It's like, it's just, there's, there's more going on here. There's more going yeah. on here. And yeah, there's just exactly. a lot. And so, okay. So we, we could keep going and labor it. But so, the point is, is oh, that, we are, we are surrounded by this. If we just take yeah, the time and, and set back, this is not Gnosticism looking for some spiritual secret no. wisdom. It's just a, a matter of saying, Take the scales off your eyes from a modern materialistic world for a minute and look around yeah, you. And you exactly. will see on every level, you'll see a world totally impregnated with unity and diversity in yep. just amazing ways. And it's a reflection there it is. Of, the, of, the, of the reality of God. Exactly. It's that's all, what I wanted to get at. It's, it's, it's all around us. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's why the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity is so foundational. That that is yep. why our ultimate presupposition is the nature of God. Yep. Everything comes after that. There is nothing more foundational than who God is. Yep. Yep. Nothing more foundational. You you can't get to a right conclusion of reality if you have not started with the triune God. Right. Good. And so that is unbelievable. We see unity and diversity in everything, and it's because our God is a unity and diversity. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Sam, Sam, I hear should, you pounding on the table. You're like, oh, we should baffle. <laughs> we should be baffled. We should be. We should marvel at this for, and we will marvel at this forever. Like yeah. this is crazy, and this is right. Right. Oh, and it's almost like, ah, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I gotta just leave it at that. Otherwise, it'll just be. Yep. I don't want it for the rest of the podcast. But again, these things that we see unity and diversity in. Marriage is one is an amazing reflection of this. Yeah. Here you have a man and a woman coming together in this this mystery of marriage. They're two individuals, but yet they're one flesh. Yep. One flesh, one, two. Again, unity, diversity. Yep. Um and then we've already talked about 
we've hinted at it. We're going to get into it more because this is really where we want to flesh out this whole topic of unity. But the church, one body, united within one head who is Christ, mm-hmm. yet we're individuals and we're diverse. Different languages, different backgrounds, different cultures, um, different upbringings, different socioeconomic status. As the Bible says, the Bible use, likes to use this language, or Paul likes to use this language, whether man or woman or slave or free or or Greek uh, or barbarian or or Sumerian or Jew or Gentile or Jew or, you know, all these different classifications of, of diversity, really, yet all are one in Christ. And all he's talking about, those who are Christians. All Christians, no matter where you came from, are one in Christ. Now, this is un- it's related, but it's unrelated. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I want to make a clarification just because it's, it's something that we have to clarify in today's world because of what we're experiencing with a very liberal, a liberal Christianity that has gone through America. We're not talking about homosexuals or transgenders or things like that. And that might come off as harsh, but that's not a God-ordained diversity. So we don't say, oh, and also we're united in our diversity of sexual orientation. No, there's man or woman, and there's only one sexual orientation, and it's heterosexual. That's it. And there's only one place to experience sex, and that's within a marriage between one man and one woman with a covenant before God. That's it. So that's a clarification that needs to be made because it's so quick that somebody could be like saying, yep, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And the whole time in their mind, they're thinking, yeah, that's why it's so great that I go to a church that allows, you know, to live a homosexual lifestyle without repenting of that sin. Yeah. And Sam, I know we're not going here. Um, This is not, not the trail we're going down, but all I would say is the minute you think about that, just ponder something again with me, just, just rational. Like, yeah. If the idea is diversity is all this stuff. Yeah. Okay, so here's my question. At what point do you draw a line and say, now that stuff went too far? (laughs) Right. (laughs) If the goal is diversity, meaning every kind of crazy idea you can come up with. Yeah. Every If I could say every sexual perversion. Right. Okay, so where does this end? A guy that walks in with 50 wives, a guy that walks in with... Uh, 10 wives under the age of 10, uh, uh, a guy that thinks he's a dog and he mates with cats. And I'm not trying to be gross or weird. I'm just saying, think about this. Like, this is where the counterfeit just gets insane. And that's why the the, the label LGBTQ plus, and now they have all these other letters that they keep adding to this because they're, it's like there's continuing to be more people to say, well... I'm this. There's some that are, I think, an E. It's like their their environmental orientation where they actually get sexually aroused by the environment, by laying in dirt or things like that. It's like that's actually people who say that. And so you have to add one more letter to your LGBTQ plus thing because you have people inventing diversity. Right. And see where I would want to go. I mean, I don't know how it comes off on a podcast. While you're drawing that line and you're trying to draw that line very, uh, I know you, we're watching each other as we're talking. You're very animated about it, and you want to make a big issue out of it, and and it needs to be. Right. As Christians, I really mean this, and maybe this comes as you become an older man. I'm so saddened by it. 
Yeah. But like I, I really am. I, I, I grieve for the young man or woman who's caught in in this, this slew of perversion and lies that's just mm-hmm. destroying them as a person. It is. So we can talk honestly about it like you are, Sam. And I'm not trying to qualify because I, I'm just I don't know how it's received because you're I know you're excited about that and 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 it's good. I mean I'm not I'm not even trying to diminish that. But there's a this is sad. This is such a perversion to the point that it's it extremely sad. It destroys humanity and it destroys yep. an individual person. Right. And, and I just, you know, we've talked about and this it's, before. And it's back to your, your example of Satan. He has to counterfeit things. Yep. So there really is a God ordained and God designed diversity in this universe. Yes. But there's also the counterfeits. Yep. Which Satan tries to flaunt out there to get us to think that's it. There it is. No, that's not it. That's a counterfeit. That doesn't exist. Yeah. And if you go that way, living your life as though this is a God ordained diversity, you will destroy yourself. Yeah. And that's what we're. That's why we're grieving it. Yeah. Because so, it is a destruction of humanity. Yeah. So I think what you're trying to do is be careful because of the culture. When we yeah. say diversity, it, it isn't. It isn't a statement. Means like. Everything goes. <laughs> right. Not at all. No, not at all. It's it's very different. It's a beautiful thing that God has created. Yeah. How do we know what's the diversity? Well, let's read the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and, <laughs> tell and, us. and let's go back. If you talk about the unified whole, a unified circle, the unity and diversity work together. Yeah. And and again, the great exp- great picture of that that God put in front of us amongst the whole creation is mankind. Yeah. I mean, it's this perfect, think about it, just think again. It's this perfect diversity of two beings, completely different, literally down to their DNA, completely different. And yet, yet, this perfect harmony and unity, and again, produces life. It actually produces life. And when it doesn't produce life, I realize that some people grieve with that. We know that as, if I could say, an anomaly, not something wrong with a person, but because we live in a fallen, broken world, it doesn't always work like it's supposed to. So there are couples that can't have children. Right. But the design is such that we have been designed to have children. That's the point. Right. The the pattern that God's given us is really clear. And so uh, with that said, then, that can, again, be a segue and I could even say it, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll tip my hand, that God creates a church that's a unity at the yep. same time a diversity, and guess what it produces? Life. <laughs> Life. Life. When oh, the, man. When the church is what it's supposed to be and operates the way it's supposed to be, it produces life. Yep, yep. So well, yeah. I mean, let's get into it now. We said, yeah. uh, well, we agreed earlier, The uh, we're going to walk through a, portion of scripture it's ephesians 4 and i mean if if you have a bible uh and you open it up and you go to ephesians 4 you're likely have a a a heading that the translators have put in and the heading of this section of scripture really is it's at least in my bible it says it says it says the unity in the body of christ so this is a portion of scripture that speaks really directly at this reality that we are a unity uh, as a church, that what, what, we are united what's your, what's in your caption? What's your trans? What's your people put in there? Unity of unity what? in the body of Christ. Okay, mine actually says unity of the spirit. There, I'm a, and, I, I'm which, NASB. I don't know what they all sure. Say, but. Yeah. So whether whatever it is, it's, it yeah. is a unity yep. chunk of scripture. This is one of our most helpful ass or parts of scripture that really helps us 
define unity and look at unity and how are we un united as this body of Christ or is yeah. united in the spirit of Christ. Yep. Um, and so we're going to walk through it. So I'll just start reading and then we're going to break it down a bit. Uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, Paul is talking uh, to the Ephesian church, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I'll, I'll stop there. So, there's where we see it. We have been saved, so again, we're, we're jumping into Ephesians after Paul has already given three chapters to talking about really these amazing truths or doctrines of the Christian faith, um, and Paul does that a lot. He'll start with doctrine, he'll start with what we call the indicatives, these truths, these factual statements, and then he'll transition into imperatives or practical living. So he's just given the indicatives, the facts uh, about Christianity. Really, he's given us uh, facts about who humanity is, how God has saved us, who God is, who this church is, all this stuff. Now we're starting to get into some more of the imperatives. Um, but nonetheless, we still have a little bit of indicatives here. And that is that, I mean, if we, if we go down to, uh, let's see here, verse 3, he's telling us, this is really an imperative here. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, here's the reality. It doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, be eager to create unity. He says be eager to maintain it. Which means it already exists. You already are united. You already have unity. And again, he's talking to Christians. We're, we're, we're focusing now. We're, we're moving away from all the world stuff. We're focusing in on Christians. If you've been saved by the gospel message, you've repented, you believe in Christ, and you've been sealed with the Spirit. He says to, that, to that, those people, you have unity. Now, be eager. You could say be diligent. Be zealous in maintaining it. You yeah, have any thoughts on that, Dan? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, no, no. You keep preaching, man. But verse two, uh, you went to three, which is great. But look what he, he's yeah. so, so it's an it's an indicative. It's a fact that you have unity in yep. the in the spirit. You have unity in the spirit. Yep. Really important. It's, yep. It's of the spirit. It, it's something the Holy Spirit does. And again, right. we, we refer to it in a big scheme. You could see the history of it unfolding in Acts. Yep. But then look what he says in verse two. Actually, prior to that. With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another. I'm doing the NASB. Yeah. You, yours didn't use tolerance. What did yours say? No, I said bearing with one another. In bearing love. with one another. Okay. So yeah. think about this now. God's telling us that we have to, uh, has, we have to be humble about it. Yep. We have to be gentle about it. We have yep. to be patient. Why do you have to be patient? Well, because it doesn't always work the way you want it to. Right. There is a and we still live in a sinful world. Right. There's a patience. And, and think of this intolerance or yep. bearing. Why do I have to bear? Well, because I have to work this out. Like, yeah. 
I have to be tolerant. That means okay, not not make, everybody that I'm interacting with is easy. Easy, uh, exactly. I, I have to do this all the time in marriage, right? Like I've been married 35 years. I just adore my wife. We've had a great life together, and I don't think I probably have to tolerate her as much she has to tolerate me. <laughs> and I'm not just saying it's probably true. I'm probably harder to get along with than she is, but like that's the idea. Like out of love for one another and right. out of this desire for unity, we have to work at this. Right. But it, it doesn't mean that you're not already united. Right. We already have a, I would even use the word covenant. We're in a covenant of marriage. We're yep. already united. It's a done deal. In fact, that gets into another thing. It can't be broken. It can't be right. broken. I don't believe it can be broken. That's where divorce is such a messy deal, right? Like, yep. this thing was never designed to be broken. Right. And I God has put together, let no man separate. And I'm here till the day I die. And I remind my wife all the time, even when she's upset with me or I'm not enjoying something in the moment, I can go, but just know I'm here to the end of it. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not enjoying this conversation or enjoying this moment, <laughs> but tomorrow will be a new day. And this is a covenant and a unity. And you're my wife. Yep. And there's yep. no other. And, but... All I want to say is, as you get into this, as we start talking about the doctrine of what we've been called to, it's something we have to work at, even though we actually have it. Yep. Okay. That's all I want to say. Okay. Yep. So, yes, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And part of part of unity, part of being a united per, uh, people or whatever is, is peace. There's a sense of peace there. Um, and... Again, the spirit is important. Paul has just told us in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 that when the gospel comes to you in power and you believe in Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So every single Christian who truly has been saved by God's grace has been sealed, and the scriptures say as a guarantee, you've been sealed as a guarantee for this inheritance that you're going to get with the Holy Spirit. So... Every single believer has the same Spirit of God. He has sealed you. He indwells you. He lives within you. You are his temple. And every believer, true Christian, has the same Spirit. Right. You are united in Spirit. That's something, that's that's a, nothing you did either. It's not like you, all these Christians, created unity by saying, hey, let's just all agree to, to get this same Spirit. No, the Spirit is the one that did it. So... That's the reality that exists. Yep. But then but then Paul goes on to actually kind of in a sense define more specifically all the things that we are already united in. <laughs> yeah. And this is incredible and we're going to we're going to walk through this and I want you to notice before we get into it and it can be hard to see in the front end but Commentators can help you see this, but really what Paul lays out, he lays out seven uniting realities to us, in a sense. They 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 take on a Trinitarian form. So there's three realities that are, in a sense, defined by the Spirit, three realities defined by the Son, and and a reality defined by the Father. So we start to see this Trinitarian uh, definition to unity occurring here, which is, again— it's just kind of cool. Again, it makes sense because who's the ultimate unity and diversity? The triune God. So the first, we'll just read through them starting in verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. So those are the first three. 
again, some commentators say those are the the uniting factors in the spirit or defined by the spirit. However you want to look at it. But nonetheless, we have we're one body, we have one spirit, and we have one hope. So let's just briefly go through those. One body, we've been talking about that. Dan's been talking about that. Uh, the Bible literally says we are the body of Christ. He is our head, and we are united as individual members into this body. And this fits in with spiritual gifts, too. We're all given a, a manifestation of the Spirit. We are given a spiritual gift, and and this helps function as the body. So the analogy that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14 is that uh, your spiritual gift is corresponds to the part of the body you are so just for just for sake of 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 consistency let's just say the gift of service where you do things for people is the hand it makes sense in my mind so if you have the spiritual gift of service you are the part of the body that is the hand and the hand is united to the rest of the body and Christ is the head and if we really think about it i mean they didn't really People back then didn't really know the consistency as much as we know today, but we know that if a hand is going to do something and move in a specific way, it's because a signal was sent from the brain in the head down through the nerve cells to the hand to to uh, telling the muscle cells within the hand to contract in a specific way, to do a specific thing. So we are this body united together, one body united to the head, which controls us. Um, so that is, yeah, that is the one body, one spirit. Again, we've, we just mentioned that. Hey, let me say something about one body real quick, Sam. Yeah, just, go for just, it. Just, well, just a thought you, you keep doing, you're doing great. Um, but I would just say, <laughs> well, no, no, it's, I, I don't mind if you preach on the whole thing. I would just say this is valuable for people in your generation who thinks this way sometimes, uh, in a good way. Okay. Is that while individually, I, as an individual person have to come face to face with God, yeah. And, and it really is an individual interaction between me and the living God. And the, in fact, Luther would say there's two major things a man's going to do in his life, two major decisions. One is uh, uh, to reject or accept Christ. Two, and, and secondly, he's going to do two things. Number one, he's going to believe by on his own, and he's going to die on his own. Oh, yeah. So, so my only point is, is like every one of us are going to stand as individuals, Yep, coming to Christ, and we're going to stand as an individual before judgment before God. Exactly. However, when we come to faith in Christ, you see this in the Great Commission in many places, I have come into a covenant people. Yep. My call to the gospel, while it's an individual response between I and God, an engagement between God and I, he personally calls my name. I personally respond to him. Yep. The entrance of this is... To this idea of a body is a, a entrance to a covenant people. Yep, yep. And there's a lot to that. We we could unpack yep. all that. No, that's but, a great clarification. But but the point is, is like I have entered into an entire people. Right. I have. Right. I, I am now. I'm actually a separate people now. I actually am. You know, right. res, rescued from a dominion of darkness, as, as Paul said in Colossians, and brought into the kingdom. That's another way to look at of the sunny loves. It's like I have been moved from one place to another and this new place is a body of people right that's right. all I, that's that's all i wanted to emphasize okay yep no yep. that's good yep and then one spirit got that one hope which well, belongs to your say, call one spirit's holy spirit 
Yep, Holy Spirit. The yep. very presence of God. I've been, I have, so I've been brought into this one body. I'm sealed with the very Spirit of God. The presence of Christ comes to live yep. with me, right? Yep. That that we got that. Okay. Yep. One hope. Again, every every uh, Christian is in the gospel called to the same hope, eternal life with God, knowing God. Uh, we have the same hope in heaven. It's not like, you know, one person, one Christian is hoping in these things and this other person is hoping in these other things and these things are different and both are true. No, there is only one hope in eternal life with the one God who exists in the new heavens, in the new earth, one inheritance or one people. So one passage I'd go to, which is familiar, but think through this as I read it slowly. This is Romans 8, 28 through um, 30. And yep. we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God. To yep. those, here it is. To those who are called according to his purpose. Right. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So yep. that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. There's the body, the brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Yes. So, so we all have the one hope in glorification. Yep. We all have been called into this body. It's this hope. Yep. Uh, glorification. We're going to be with Christ. We're going to be made perfect, made right. Yep. And it's yeah. this and hope. I, it, it's just it, tremendous. And so it's not an empty hope. It's real hope. Right. And yep. I, I even think that maybe even Ephesians 1 lays it even clearer. I mean, listen to this. Yeah, go. And this is what Paul, this is what would fit contextually to what we're going through in Ephesians 4. Um, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So that's a hope, being holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption. So we have this hope in that we're the children of God. Yep. Um as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, in which we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here it is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Yep. So again, plenty of hopeful things there. Yep. Got it. Yep. So yeah, one hope. So so far we have one body, one spirit, one hope. And now verse five, one Lord, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is this is important because Jesus says that there is, salvation is by no other name, through no other person but Him. He is the one Lord. He is Lord of all. He is the eternally existing God who created all things, who sustains all things. One Lord, Jesus Christ. So, that means that if you're a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or somebody who says, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus. Well, he's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the same Lord. I have a different Lord. I have the Lord of the Bible, Jesus Christ. So we don't have unity with you then. One Lord. There's only one Jesus who exists. And it's the Jesus revealed in the scriptures. And again, there's only salvation by one name, Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. 
if you believe in a Jesus who's not the Jesus of the scriptures, well, there is no salvation in that name. He's He doesn't exist. He's not the Jesus that actually exists. Um, and you have no unity with the people who do indeed believe in the one Lord, the Jesus of the Bible. So, one Lord. Anything to add on that, Dan? No. No, you, you got it. <laughs> no, I mean, and you got off. Not off. You said a couple things when you mentioned other groups. Yeah, it's not just the name Jesus. It's what you put right. it, it's what you put into that. Meaning like right. we're talking about right. deity. We're talking about the God man, the one that was fully man, fully God. Yeah, yeah. Uh it's a whole you say doctrine, the teaching of the reality of who Jesus is. Right, right. It's like, oh and my name's have- Sam Parada, but hey, somebody says, Hey, do you know Sam Parada? He grew up in uh he grew up in Alabama. He has blonde hair, brown eyes, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not me. I grew up in Minnesota. I have hazel eyes, brown hair. That's not me. Yeah, you might have the same name. You might call him the same name. Different people. Right. That's all you're saying. <laughs> there's, only, yeah. there's only one Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Exactly. Yep. Got it. Okay. One faith. And yep. one baptism. We're gonna we're gonna spend a little bit more time on these two right here. Um, to preface, we're gonna talk about this one faith for the rest of the time. Um, so, just briefly as an introduction to that, one faith means one body of knowledge or one doctrine, one theology, one set of one truth in a sense. So you can the easiest way or the most practical way to think about this is we have one one scripture, one Bible, that reveals to us one truth that is consistent and cohesive, and absolute and authoritative, and sufficient. It's really the doctrine of 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 uh, the scriptures. It's inerrant. It's infallible. One faith, and this also pertains to the gospel because the gospel is a message of content, one gospel message. Yeah. So one, one verse quickly, you'll see this a lot in your Bibles. And again, obviously people listen to the podcast, I'd want to make this an issue. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a technical thing in grammar, but I think you'll pick up on this. When you read through your Bible, and I'm looking right now at like 1 Timothy 4. I don't know why, I always go there. But, yeah. it's, it, but you'll find this in many places in your scriptures, Timothy particularly. But first, first Timothy four says, "But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith." Yep. T H E faith, paying yep. attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay, and it goes on and says other things, but it says the faith. T H E the faith. Definite article. Article right there. So yep. why that's important is that's not that doesn't mean like faith has this general kind of interpretation meaning meaning trust putting your yeah. trust standing in this trust right yeah when it when when your bible says the faith like in timothy here he's talking about this what you just said sam the faith means the doctrines of the christian faith the teachings the fundamental yep. framework that god has given us in the gospel that yeah. we have imparted to you yes so when he's talking to timothy you could say this uh, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the doctrines of the Christian faith. Yeah. Right? Right. And so, so, so when he says we have one faith, he's talking about this, you could say, body or these doctrines of the Christian faith. Right. That are grounded, founded in the actual knowledge of God that he gives us in the Scriptures. 
Right. He's he's spoken to us. He's revealed it to us. He's condescended to us, as you like to say, Dan. Yeah, he's come he's, down and uh, brought this to us, yes. Yep, and here it is. We have it. It's one faith. Yep, it's one, one body of truth. This body of truth. And so yep. as you think this through logically, you have to take step by step. You, first of all, God has given us, we have to say God has given us this infallible, inerrant, plenary, which means full, sufficient knowledge that we need for life, salvation, and godliness. Yes, there he's, it is. There it is. He's given us this body of knowledge. So you first have to go, okay, he has given this to us. Yep. Okay, that's the first. You have to claim that. So yes, yeah, he's given He has it. spoken. He has spoken. In an understandable way. And he has given us this doctrine of knowledge. Now, the reason why we're kind of emphasizing this is Sam and I talked earlier today before the podcast for, goodness, hour and a half on this issue to make sure that we communicate it clearly what is meant yeah. here, right? Okay, so carry on. Yep. And we'll, go, yep. we'll get back to it because we're going to spend a lot of time on it because that's the biggest issue we see right now in the church when it comes to this unity topic. Yep. But we have to talk about the last one, or the last two, one baptism and one God and Father of all. So one baptism. Now, uh, just, just to let you know that people can interpret this a little bit differently. Some people may interpret this meaning, this is our one conversion. The Bible says that when we are converted or when we are born again or when we are regenerated, I mean, the Bible really does teach us this is a baptism in the Spirit. The Spirit is changing us. He's making us alive, bringing us from death to life. We're baptized in the Spirit at this moment of conversion, of regeneration, of being born again. So could that mean, is this one baptism that? It could mean that. It could mean that, but usually we would say that is implied by one spirit. When we are given the spirit, we are baptized by the spirit or in the spirit. In the spirit. It's and, Jesus that does the baptism. Yeah, by Jesus in remember, the spirit. Remember, right. the, a, a simple one for me, we could get into the textual part of it, and we're not trying to do that here. We could right. do that. But remember John said, I baptize with water, but one who's coming, who I can't even tie his sandals, is going to baptize yep. you in the spirit. In the spirit, yeah. So it's almost like the the the, uh, the okay. We're baptized in water. It's almost like the substance that we're baptized into, in a sense. Right. It's in like the spirit. it's the idea of being brought into the body. Yep. We're, we're, when we come to faith in Christ, we're brought into this body. Where yep. it's the same thing. We're brought into this right. relationship with the spirit. Right. Right. And we're cleansed and washed. By the Spirit. Right. And, and your case right now, if I were to step back, Sam, trying to make this clear for people, is yeah. that this baptism, this one baptism in Ephesians 4, may refer to that. It may. May. But given that we've already talked about the Spirit. Right. It probably uh, refers to our water baptism. Right. A lot of commentators would say this. and Let's, let's, let's yeah. emphasize that. What's the idea yeah. about the water baptism? Right. It, it, so... It comes back to covenants. So God has made plenty of covenants throughout the scriptures. Really, he initiates a relationship with people. And these covenants, uh, some of them are what we call unconditional covenants, meaning God promises to do something no matter what. And that's, think of the Noahic covenant. God says to Noah, I will not flood the earth again. And here is the sign of my covenant, the rainbow. So every covenant has a sign. So the Abrahamic covenant, sign of circumcision. 
So you have these these signs uh, that represent this covenant that God has made. So the sign of the new covenant is baptism. So we have this physical water baptism, which is the outward physical sign of this reality that already exists, this fact that God has already uh, made a covenant with his people to save them and dwell inside of them, give them a new heart, give them a new nature, give them eternal life, all these promises that he's made. And what is the outward sign of this reality, this covenant that God has made with these people? Water baptism. So there is, in a sense, one baptism. There is one sign for this new covenant. It is baptism. Now, and again, there is one teaching, in a sense, or one doctrine of baptism in the Bible. Now, we know throughout church history and even today that the way we interpret this one baptism varies. You might have a Presbyterian who who believes this one baptism could be defined by being able to baptize babies. Um, and we, you might have a Baptist, like I am, who says, no, it's, it's only a believer. It's only somebody who has shown uh, outward evidence of being saved and now you baptize them and we would say by full immersion we would totally immerse this person in a body of water uh, and some might say well you can sprinkle them you can just put some water on their forehead and so there's different uh beliefs in a sense of what this one baptism is but we all agree on there is a baptism and it's something significant and it's something that exists and we all agree that it is the sign of the new covenant yeah now so the difference real quick you see i think it's easy to even try to communicate this um, we all agree that there's a sign, and the sign given yep. is this thing called water baptism. Yep. And we all agree that it's a sign of a new covenant. Yes. Okay. Here's where the difference is for people listening to this, if you want to think of this very simply. Think of circumcision in the Old Testament. It was yep. a sign of the covenant, this this right. this covenant with this nation of Israel, right? These Hebrews, yep. there was this covenant. Now, yep. we know not everybody in that covenant, not everybody in the covenant were the elect. Right. Not everybody was, if you will say, born again. Not everybody in the covenant was regenerated. There's a number of ways to yep. think about that. We know that from uh, even Romans, if you remember early in Romans right. chapter 2. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So. There was this actual, like, supernatural spiritual circumcision by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That not everybody in the covenant people had that. Right. But everybody was given the sign of the covenant. Yeah, all the men were. All the men were. Now, here's why we we say this. The difference now, say, Presbyterian and Baptist, they all agree there needs to be a sign. Yep. They all agree that it's it's a signal or a sign of a covenant. Yep. The difference is, is an emphasis on how we think about the covenant. That's the only difference, really. And I, it's, it's yeah. a big difference, and they both can't be right. At the end, when it's right. all said and done, when we're standing before glory, they're not all going to be right. But, right. but they do agree with one baptism. Okay. They do yep. agree with this. Exactly. And the difference is for those, you know, again, who may not know or just listen to podcasts, is simply this is that those who understand the covenant, that we would call evangelical biblical people would say there's this covenant people that we give baptism to a child because they are associated with these people into this covenant of people. But they certainly would say not everybody in the covenant is truly the elect. Not everybody in this covenant is actually regenerated. 
they're not assuming that this baptism makes somebody regenerated. They're saying that it gives them this special connection to the covenant people. And there's blessings mm-hmm. by being in this covenant people. But it doesn't mean you're the elect. doesn't mean you're fully regenerated. Mm-hmm. Right? Got that? Okay. The Baptist would say, we actually only want to give the sign, okay, to those yep. who, who look like they're actually regenerated and profess a public faith in regeneration. Right. Now, understand, though, at in, in the end of the game, both would also agree that everybody, let's just say, in my given church, if I'm a Presbyterian, I say, we're the covenant people. This church is the covenant people. We've baptized babies into this covenant. We have a special connection to Jesus. At the same time, I know not everybody sitting in this room is the elect and truly regenerated. Some right. some may know the doctrine. Some may say the profession of faith, but they're really not regenerated. And and we see uh, scripture that says like Satan will come and sow in weeds into the field of God. There it is. You could call the wheat wheat. There's wheat amongst. There's wheat and tares. You know. There's weeds yep. and wheat. There's sheep and goats. And goats. There, there's all yep. that discussion. Okay. Well, the Baptists would actually say the same thing. While we we don't want to baptize children into the covenant. We baptize yep. because of a person's profession of faith. Right. So they're doing the same thing. They're saying there's this real sign of baptism. There's yep. this covenant, new covenant. Now, yep. the Baptists would also say there are people that we've baptized based yep. on our human understanding of their profession of faith that in the end are going to turn out not to truly be regenerated. Right. It was an inauthentic profession. Yep. And it, yep. it will play itself out as we watch their life right. and you will see them become right. apostate, if you will. They reject right. the faith. It wasn't that they lost salvation, would not be the general right. view. It would be they'd never really had it, even though right. they made a profession of faith. So right. the point in this, is, in saying one baptism, is we're all agreeing that there's a sign that God has given now of being part of the covenant. Yep. The only discussion in the again, this biblical evangelical world is how do we view this covenant Right, the Presbyterian, and, and again, we're we're even going a little narrower too, because we haven't we're not talking about uh, Catholicism or Lutheranism's no. view of baptism. I don't even want to go there right now because we don't have time. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, one we'll Baptist. just leave it at that. Okay, go ahead. Right, and then okay, finally, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here we go, bam, one God. Yep. And and again, we have, you know, one God and Father of all. Who is overall through all and all again? Ultimate unity. God is the one that unites all things. Yeah. And again, we have one God who is a triune God revealed in three persons. So that's that. Those are the seven uniting realities to the Christian. Those are the things that are facts. They exist. We have these things. Now, really, we maintain them. Be eager to maintain these things. Uh, but they already exist. So the the person that says, "Well, I, I we need to create unity in the church." Uh, 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 no, that already exists. Maintain it. Now we said that this one faith idea. This is the thing that we're gonna, in a sense, Paul addresses. Um, really, for the all the way through verse sixteen, in a sense, he kind of picks up on this idea of the one faith. So. I'm going to start reading again, and I want you to pay attention as I read, or if maybe you have your Bible with you, pay attention to this one faith language and how it relates to that. So again, what's the one faith? 
it's the one body of knowledge, the 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 one doctrine, one theology, one Bible, and it has a one meaning that we can understand that God has revealed to us and given to us. So, starting in verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Basically, what he's saying is that. Okay, we're one body, but the Holy Spirit manifests in us different gifts. He's given us spiritual gifts that we use and exercise to serve the body, encourage the body. And so that's a reality, again, a diversity within this unity. And he says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things and then he goes, and we're not going to spend much time on that at all, but here's really where really you want to pick up on, and that's verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'll stop there. We're going to keep going, but I'll stop there for now. So, this one faith, think about it. Look at your Bible. It's content, it's propositions, it's information revealed to us in language that we read and we hear and we understand it and we have to learn it. So, if if you become a Christian, right at your conversion— these uniting realities are true of you when you become a Christian. You do indeed have one spirit. You do indeed have one Lord. You do indeed have one hope. You do indeed uh, have uh, uh, one baptism, one faith, all these things, one God. But the one of those things, the faith, is something that you actually have to continue to learn. Indeed, you do have one faith. You do have one scriptures. It already exists. God has already, already revealed it. There it is. But you might not have actually cracked open your Bible yet. So you do not necessarily have unity with the rest of your brothers and sisters in this one faith until you start to grow and understand the same things, if that makes sense. So let's say you just become a Christian. And the guy who led you to Christ, let's say he's been a Christian for 20 years. And he's read his Bible 20 times. Let's say he reads it every year. All the way through. He's read his Bible 20 times. So he has an understanding of this one faith way beyond you because you just became a Christian. Now, so he, let's just say he understands the nuance of certain doctrines more than you do. But as you now start to grow in your faith and you start to learn these doctrines and learn what the Bible teaches about these realities or these topics or these themes... Now you actually attain a deeper unity with this guy who led you to Christ. And so that's what Paul is saying here. This one faith, we have to learn it. And he says that he gave us leaders. He says he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Really, okay, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith. So he's saying that he gave us these leaders— who he has called uniquely in order to teach us these doctrines, this one faith, so that we may 
attain the unity of the faith so that we may attain and strive to all understand this one doctrine of knowledge that does indeed exist. And that's an amazing thing. That's why it's that's why the, our pastors and our shepherds and our teachers and these people who are spiritual leaders and the elders of our churches are so important because God has uniquely called them and equipped them to be our leaders to help us understand the Bible so that we may attain the unity of the one faith. Now, what does this unity in one faith help us do? Well, starting in verse 14, we want this unity of one faith, and we should strive for this unity of one faith, and we should grow in this unity of one faith, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There it is right there, the word doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are now to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, there is false doctrine out there. There's bad doctrine out there. There's heresy. There's false teaching. There's human cunning and craft, craftiness and deceitful schemes. And it can totally dupe us and it can totally mess us up and, 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 and just totally derail our lives. How do we protect ourselves from being derailed by human cunning and bad doctrine? By learning right doctrine. <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's the point. He's given us these leaders to teach us right doctrine, sound doctrine, the Bible, the scriptures, so that we will no longer be children. And children, they're, they're, they're susceptible, you could say, to deception. They're easily deceived. Easily deceived, a child is. We don't want to be children anymore. We are, we are commanded to no longer be children, but to grow up into maturity and into therefore into unity. Now, all this to say, coming full circle, my observation um, into many American churches, not all, is that, yes, indeed, they strive, they want unity, they pray for unity. But it seems as though many of them think the way that you attain unity is by doctrinal superficiality, doctrinal ignorance, not taking a stand on doctrine, and not teaching deeper doctrine. That's how they think they attain unity. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. They think, they think that unity or doctrine is the problem for why they're disunited when actually doctrine is the solution to their unity that they want. So I was talking a lot, Dan. <laughs> Do you have anything to add? I know you well. have a sweet quote. <laughs> A what? A sweet quote. Which quote? You'll have to help me. Which one do you think? The, the colors in the dark one. Oh, okay. Yeah. But say whatever you want to say. I just rambled on for a while. Well, I don't um, mind you rambling on. I just, there's a number of things that could be said. First of all, when you say um, one faith, I'm sure the question people are asking, like, wait a minute, there's we, we have people who disagree on yeah. so, some yeah. things of faith. And so... That's where Sam and I talked earlier for quite a while. Just think through, like, how, how do you explain this? Well, first, first of all, 
God did say something in the scriptures to teach us something. It's real knowledge. And let me say it this way, it may be easier. When we stand before God glorified, which means we're justified before God, we're declared righteous. Christ's righteousness is given to us. It's called imputed. Yep. Then we grow in this life, in a Christian life, becoming more and more like Christ, conformed to his image. Sin uh, gains less power and we walk more in his spirit. It's an ongoing journey. It's called sanctification. And then glorification is when, if you will, we are glorified. You could say be made perfect, whatever that means for a finite human person. Yeah, holy, blameless. To stand before God, pure and right. At that point... We will, all Christians who actually have been regenerated, sealed to the Spirit, stand as God's children in His presence, we will have one faith. Meaning yes. we, there will be one teaching. We'll say, oh, we got it now. Okay, we got yep. it. Yep, yep. Until that point, there's no question that sometimes we have differences on what we say are non-essential issues. And that's where the humility and tolerance in those things come in, is because of a number of things that Sam and I were talking about earlier. And that is, um, let me see how I can say this. Like we're, the way we strive, and this is why this is so culturally important. The way we strive for unity is striving to understand these doctrines. Some will say, well, we should have unity and doctrines divide us. And I think it's the opposite. I think right. the scriptures are teaching. We are supposed to strive for this one faith. For this one doctrinal, truthful teaching in the end. Yes. Notice I said in the end, which means we're on a journey towards that. So right. on the front part of that journey, there's a number of things that we would say, if you don't hold to these particular clear doctrines, then you're really not even in the body of Christ. Right. And, and those would be such things as, you know, the, the nature of God, the, the nature, you know, God, uh, the triune nature of God who he is, the omni-God, as I call it, the nature yep. of God. We would talk about the nature of Christ, who he is, fully man, fully God, really came to this earth. His yep. life, his death, his resurrection. Yep. Um, salvation is in faith in Christ alone. The fact that God yep. actually spoke to us in the scriptures. There's a number right. of these fundamental things that we would all hold to. And if you depart from this, you've really departed from Christianity. Right. Now, we have other teachings, like I mentioned earlier. Okay, what's this covenant really? Um, is it everybody, what do we do with this covenant idea? And Christians can wrestle with that with each other. But here's the thing. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. <laughs> exactly. And they both can't be right. Now, maybe there's, when in the end we find out there's some other little understanding we didn't get, we don't understand. But clearly God spoke to us about it, so he expects us to continue to pursue studying doctrine and understanding these truths. Yep. And with that, with that, um, what do I want to? What am I trying to say? As we pursue that, we get more refined, and we and we and things can become clearer and clearer. Um, but the beauty of this is this: this is one of the things that gets misunderstood in the culture, and maybe this is what you're saying. So, first of all, the quote Sam was talking about is that there's two, this, this goes to a, a historic writer who said it this way. He said there's two false pieces or f two false unities. The first one is when this peace is grounded upon implicit ignorance. 
In other words, we don't even really know what we're saying to each other, but we kind of pretend we have unity because he says this. His statement was, for all colors agree in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) All colors agree in the dark. In other words, if you aren't really clear about your color, it's easy to say we all agree. Right. So that is actually a false unity. It's just that I really don't understand where you're coming from and you don't understand where I'm coming from. And once we understand where we're coming from, we find out, oh, maybe we're not saying the same thing. Right. The other one that can be pieced together is upon a direct admission. This would be explicit controversies that we just uh, stand with each other and yet we say we have unity. This would be me saying I have unity with a Buddhist or uh, 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 somebody who denies the deity of Christ. And yet I would say we have unity and I say, well, of course we have unity. Well, no, we really don't have unity. We really no. don't because and it, clearly we don't. So we can kind of pretend we do, but it's not real. Right. So there's these false unities. One is built on uh, ignorance. We just haven't really listened to what the other one's saying. And the other kind of unity is that we know we don't agree, but we're going to say we have unity. And it just doesn't really, that's just not real. So, right. so what do we do with this? Well, Sam and I were talking, we're thinking of different men we appreciate that we've listened to. Let's say on YouTube have a debate, and it's very interesting. All these essential uh, conviction-level doctrines they agree on, but they may disagree on, let's say, the baptism and the idea of the covenant. So you have a a good, biblically astute Presbyterian, a guy like Doug Wilson. And then you have a really biblically astute Baptist like James White. And what's fascinating to hear them talk is how much they agree, first of all, and how fine the line is when they begin to discuss these things, they differ with one another. Yep. And the beauty in that is this. I heard this too. I I don't know where the quote came from. I think Wilson used it, but I don't know. It floats around out there. He was talking about having these debates on these issues, and he, he made this statement, you can't split rotten wood. You can't split rotten wood. Uh, in other words, when you think of splitting a log, if it's just a rotten wood on the inside and it's just mushy and people don't know what they think, you can't split it. You can't even really have a debate or a discussion. Right. And so the beauty, like when a Wilson or a, uh, and James White get together, is they're both really hard wood. They know why they believe <laughs> what they believe. Now, in the yeah. end, when we stand before the Lord, they both can't be right. Right. But they agree on all the essential issues, all the important issues. And there's some fine lines in some of these finer points of the oh, faith. Oh, very nuanced. Very positions. nuanced. And you'd really have to listen to them clearly and go, okay, I can see where you came up with where you're at, but I'm more over here. Yeah. And then what you listen to, what you live with, is what Paul said in Romans, uh, is it 14 or 15? 14.5. 14.5, where he said, let every man, every man be convinced in his own conscience. So at yep. a given point in time, Sam and I, can sit here and say, I disagree on that non-essential doctrine with you, Sam. I'm not sure I agree with you. But I can see your point. But I'm not there. I'm over here because this is where my conscience is today, and I have to obey my conscience. Yep. But what we do know is that there will be a day that right. we, we do say, okay, see, Sam, you'll, you finally understand I've been right all along. <laughs> right. And, and, and I want to clarify did you, did you hear this. Me, did you hear me, Sam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you, heard, yeah. you will agree with me, Sam. Yeah, yeah. One I get of these it. days, you it. will agree. <laughs> here's okay. Here's here's a term that Dan just said that I needs clarification. Okay, go. He said not essential. So, 
This is where I, again, error. People get into error. You say essential, non-essential. Well, that just means that all I need to worry about is the essential. I don't even have to worry about the non-essential. I shouldn't even have a position. I don't care. And if you tell me your position on the non-essential stuff, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Don't get me to even believe you. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying there is, there does exist this one body of knowledge, all the doctrines that has been revealed in Scripture, and what's true about those. And again, we are to strive to know those yep. accurately and correctly. And we're humble enough to say that, hey, I'm human. I don't know all things, and I I might I might uh, understand, or I might my view of baptism, let's say, might be wrong or not quite right. And hum, I'm humble enough to say that, though in my conscience, I'm convinced in my own conscience that what I do believe about baptism is indeed right. Yep. And I have a clear conscience about what I believe about baptism. But at the end of the day, the Presbyterian might be right. But the point is, we're still striving to know and to, to believe yep. what is right about baptism. Yep. So you have churches, though, that say, well, we'll, we'll unite on the essential issues so that we can at least be Christians, because if you don't believe in the essential things, you're by definition not a Christian. But now we're not going to take stances on the non-essential stuff. No. How do you, how do, if, you, if that's your case, and how do you obey the Great Commission, where you evangelism is connected to discipleship? Okay, you make disciples, you preach the gospel, they become Christians, you baptize them into the body of Christ, and now it says you teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, yeah. meaning all doctrine is essential then. And in what that sense. Yeah, and, and yeah, so we're using a word essential. We have to be careful with that means generally yeah. generally we're saying salvific issues that have eternal yeah. ramifications. But that's meant to just kind of again give a, a an area of discussion because we're not trying to make light that every teaching of the scripture is vital and essential yep. for my discipleship. Exactly. That's we're not saying so, they aren't that. So I think the bigger point is based on this entire, so far, two-part podcast, maybe it's going to be three-part, but we're talking about what we're seeing in a culture. Yes. And this is where earlier when Sam and I had a fuller conversation before the podcast, this is what became very clear, that we're trying to, we're trying to communicate. There's this idea that says the problem is doctrine, and that's why we don't have unity. Yeah. And what this passage is telling us in Ephesians is, no, the more I strive... With this kindness and humility and tolerance, but the more I strive to understand doctrine, to immerse my mind in the knowledge of God, to study the scriptures, the yes. more the more I'm actually pursuing unity. Exactly. And even that un unity can be somebody that I go head to head with in the best sense of that. Like I said, yep. I gave you an example to listen to a guy like Wilson and James White go to YouTube, watch those guys, you see them wrestle together, but they get so close to one another. I mean, the yeah. line is a lot closer than people think. The more you study, the more it brings you together and you see the fine line. Yes. And further, just as a man sitting here, I know where you're at. Like, Sam, you and I could sit at a table and totally enjoy the Christian fellowship we have together. Yeah. Because I know where you're at. I'm going, yeah, I think you're going to be wrong. And But this mushiness where we really don't know, which is the whole yeah. postmodern ethos that says, well, or, we or really... Or this idea that we can't know. That's what I was going to say. The postmodern ethos. We really can't know, so we really don't know. We just throw our hands up. Wrong. Well, there's a laziness there. There is a mushiness there. And again, going yeah. back to that frame, there is a, uh, you can't split 
rotten wood. Yeah. Meaning like, no, I need to be able to come to the table and wrestle with you, brother, on this issue. And I have substantive issues that I say are real. Yeah. And I, um, uh, uh, I hold to these and I can demonstrate them and I can argue them with you. Okay, right. give me the counterpoint. But you see, in a postmodern world, there's like, well, we really can't know. So why are we even arguing? Let's just get along as if that is going to be the conclusion. And you see a lot of people not just my generation, but you really do see a lot of the millennial generation thinking that's what's created the conflict. And they kind of shrug, <laughs> shrug their shoulders and say, see, we really can't know this stuff. Oh, it's just, let's just worship Jesus. That, yeah. What we're trying to say is that's actually counterproductive. Counterproductive, it's dangerous because here's the deal. Oh, let's just worship Jesus. But Jesus says, worship me in spirit and in truth. Yeah, you got to get and it right. You yeah. have this one body of truth that he has revealed to us. Yeah. And it's, 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 this Bible isn't exhaustive on all truth that exists. Right. He's given us what we need. Yep. And what he wants us to know. It is sufficient. Yeah. It's sufficient for us here in this life. And so we should strive to know it. And when we know it better and more accurately, yeah, we worship him better. Yeah. So again, we don't need this other doctrine. We don't need to take stances on it. Well, you're you're just you're just cutting off your worship. Then you say we're just gonna we're just gonna cut off the purity of our worship right here because we don't want to strive to know these deeper doctrines that therefore will correspond to a more accurate view of our of our sovereign Lord and how He has saved us and who we are as human beings. Yeah. Like. It's just like, oh, brother, you don't understand what you're doing. See, and you again, want that, unity, you want well, better worship, and you're cutting off. Yeah, well, that goes the way back. You do it. That goes back to that quote. Let's let's bring that quote back to life here. Yeah, particularly the first one. It's like we have a unity built on something like an ignorance because think about it. All colors agree in the dark. <laughs> You've right, never, but there's still colors. Right. You've never put your color forward. So it sort of looks like we're all on the same page. And you, yeah. and that's when we talked, um, uh, was it the other podcast, Sam, when we talked about like my experience at that conference when I'm leaving, I realized that though I was with certain people all week, and particularly yeah. this one woman, we really didn't have unity. No. Because there was an ignorance. The lights were turned off. There's the sense in which, oh, yeah, we have unity, but we really did not agree but on some it, fundamental it, issues. It, and so, therefore, we really didn't have unity. We can pretend we have unity. We can make it up. And in the right. end, in the end, after I realized we didn't have it, what she was appealing to is we shouldn't even be doing this. We should have unity, meaning now what she wanted to do is even though we both know we disagree, we should still have unity. Which yeah, is that, we should just still pretend like the, it, these disagreements don't exist. Yeah, and, and that's we, just moronic. It's like, well, it just doesn't work. Well, the point, it, of, well, the point it, of those old old historic dead men quotes is it really doesn't work, and and this right. is what this is what's happening. So anyway, uh, I don't well, know. Well, and it it just ahead. it fundamentally uh, misunderstands human nature, like. We all indeed have a worldview. Every single human being. Yeah. We all believe things. We all have assumptions. And and we can't pretend like those beliefs and those worldviews don't affect us. They do. Look at the political divide right now between conservatives and liberals. Like, 
No, we really do. The world really does. Even non-regenerate, unregenerate people really do care about what you believe about certain things. And and so there, you can't just turn the lights off and say, oh, okay, let's all just get along. Because here's the issue. And this is, this is why, again, this is why Paul structures his letters this way, starting with facts and then moving to practical living. Because what you believe about something affects the way you act and behave in this world. It does. Every single time. So, that's why doctrine is so important in our church, and we have to be united on it, because it's going to affect the way we practice things. It's going to be the affect the way we, we, we have a philosophy and ministry in our church. It's going to affect the way we do evangelism. It's going to affect the way that we order our service. It's going to affect the way that we even set up our, our sanctuary and the things that we put in it and the things we don't and the thing, how we, it literally affects everything we do. Yeah. So do it just to be, just be, it's just moronic to think that, oh, it doesn't matter what we believe about all this stuff. We can still have unity. No, you can't. Well, you and can't. I, th- I think this fundamentally, I've seen this, I've experienced this personally, even recently. And um, I think I see in more and more of this, Sam, and I think it goes to part of what we're talking about. Like, if I'm going to be part of a particular local body of people, yep, that local body is led by a handful of leaders, and we, yep, right, like we said, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, yep, teachers, yep. and we would say within the shepherds, we would we would include in there, I think, uh, elders, and there's qualifications yep. for elders, right, and, and and indeed the scriptures even say a uh, lot not. not uh, many Not of many you, of you brothers should be need teachers. to become teachers. This is James three one three yep uh, three one yeah because knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment like it's a oh man we're held this, accountable yeah the, and now this is a weird thing in the evangelical world we get somebody who seems to have like a cool personality or a charismatic person I don't mean theologically but like a charismatic person that people are attracted to. Or yep. in some cases somebody doesn't know anything else to do and they say well I think I'll do Christian ministry. As if it means be, being a nice person and talking about Jesus. Yeah. And the scriptures are really, really serious on this thing, man. Oh, man, are they serious. Like, elders are called to the doctrine. Elders are called to live holy lives. They are to exemplify the destination. As I heard one man say at one time, I love that. Like, Yeah. Like, yeah. And so if you're going to have a local body of people, a local body, a local church, if we're going to attain to unity, even though this is even getting more like uh, micro, meaning you have this body of people, let's say 100 people, and it's led by a, a pastor and, you know, pastor teachers, a handful of elders, right? They have got to be on the same page on this stuff. Have to. They have to. And even beyond what we would say are the key top essential issues, they need to be on the same page, say, of the covenant, of baptism, of a number of these issues, if they're going to have a unity amongst those people and be able to lead. Now, that doesn't mean everybody coming through the door, let's say even a member of that church, can't have some diverse views they're working through because everybody's at a different place of growth. Exactly. But the leadership of that church has to say, this is where we're at. Right. This is where we're, we are hardwood. We could be split right here. Here's our line. Yep. This is yep. what we teach. This is where we're at. Yeah. That actually brings about unity amongst the people. It does because you're all united on the goal. Where are we bringing our? But where's if, our discipleship but, moving towards? But if we say, if we say, well, the only thing we really agree on is this thing called the gospel, and that's what we unite around, 
that really becomes difficult because there's a lot of other stuff going on. You're a lot totally of cutting off your discipleship. And so it goes back to what you said, Sam. I think sometimes those of us that have been in ministry for a period of time, like you yep. know, my, like myself and others, realize more and more, and you, you, you do even at a young age, but you realize it more and more, that the way I think about, let's say, the way we do missions or the way, like you said, I hate to say just set up chairs, but the point is, is the way we think about our way of doing ministry Yep. Really does come from the way I think theologically about these doctrines. Yep. They actually really do. Yep. Uh, and to dismiss. Whether you admit it or not. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. And so in the evangelical church in America, in many places, we have a, what we think of as a populist evangelicalism that's very shallow in its thinking. And yeah. I know a lot of these people love Jesus, and they would say they love the Word of God, and in large measure they do. I'm not debating that. But you realize they haven't really thought through, you know, say first-tier, second-tier doctrine. They haven't really thought that through, and they're not leading their people in a particular line on that. And they, the thinking is, is we can keep this thing together by just focusing on Jesus, and, you know, we love Jesus in the Bible. Yep. It won't stay together, though. It can't stay together. And we had that discussion, Sam, back when I, we, you and I had, I think, a discussion in podcasts. You'd have to, you could list it when you post this one. But sure. When we talked about parachurch, or yep. it used to be in my lifetime, I used to, I tried to tell, help people understand this. And, and sometimes it's, it's come off wrong, but I've tried to help understand, like what I would say, the community Bible study. You would have a ministry that would come in and have this community Bible study in a particular city or area, and it was just community. And there was this yeah. idea that there was this idea that we were just going to center on these key themes and have this community Bible study of all these different people from different walks of life. Well, I would say culturally, my experience in my lifetime now, coming to faith in Christ in my 20s, then late 20s, getting into ministry, being in ministry now for 30 years. Um, early on, that sort of made sense to me because you would walk in that room of the community Bible study and pretty much people all agreed, even on secondary issues for the most part. In large measure, there was a lot of agreeance. Yeah. But I've watched that divergence happening in my lifetime. Right. And, and of course, you've brought up some of the issues, but very divisive issues of, of you know, the homosexuality, um, is the Bible the, the Word of God, uh, salvation, uh, the elect, all these kinds of things that become very, very important issues. You try to put all those people in a room and say, we're going to have unity and teach the same thing. It starts fracturing really quick, and we're watching it right now. We're watching mm -hmm. major leaders in our country who just a few years ago were all on the same page on some major issues. Mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder, and they are not shoulder to shoulder now. There is fracturing going on over social justice, the race issue, all of these things. There is major fracturing going on. Mm -hmm. And so I say that the real unity is a local body who's centered on the essentials of the Christian faith and centered yep. on the their, their, say, second tier or non-essential doctrines, but we as a leadership of this church, this is where we're at on this issue. Right. And that's... This is... I mean, that, that's... That, that can bring about not only a unity amongst those people, but now I can associate with the church next door 
because we agree on essentials. We know where we stand on non-essentials. It's the wood idea. It's not just mushy. We can actually wrestle and try to have a yeah. unity as we pursue well, something. Well, that's together. why in my in my ex, my own experience, I experience far greater unity with the the Reformed Presbyterian Church. I mean, I'm a Reformed Baptist. Yeah. I I mean, I experience tremendous unity with the Reformed Presbyterian. One, we agree on a lot of things. Right. Two, we're cut straight. We know where we stand on all the, all these issues. And the people that I experience the least unity with are the people that are mushy. That yeah, I don't know what I think about this. Yeah, it's like, right. well, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I mean, right. again, and back to the leadership issue. Right. This is why spiritual leadership is so important. This is why God has called and uniquely equipped certain men to be the spiritual leaders of the church. Yeah, it's so important. Not anybody can do this. Not anybody is called to do it. A right. very few, very few are called and qualified to do it. Yeah. And listen to what listen to what Paul t- tells Titus in Titus chapter 1. He goes, "This is why I left you in Crete." Crete's this island um in the Mediterranean. He says, "This is why I left you in Crete," talking to Titus, "so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you." And the elders again, those shepherd teacher types. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, here's the qualifications. If anybody, anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Mm-hmm. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Here, li- listen to verse 9. He must hold firm. With a closed fist, firm, cut straight, you could say. Firm to the trustworthy word as taught, the doctrine of Scripture. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So, I mean, that is as clear as it gets. Yeah, like serious. I mean, it's it's so clear and it's so serious. Like, these these elders, these overseers, these pastors, these shepherds, they must, they must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught. Yeah. They must know their Bible. They have to know it. That's why we yeah. have such things as seminaries. And that's why we we put our pastors. Well, they. Sh- I mean, we want them to go through intensive study where they learn the language, they learn Hebrew, they learn Greek, they learn systematic theology, they study church history, they know where where uh, Christians have erred in the past. They know all this stuff. They study, 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 and not only have they studied, but they're also called by God to this to this calling of being a leader in the church. And not only are they called, but have they been studied? But they also have a character, a lifestyle. That qualifies them. They're not drunkards. They're husbands of one wives. They're not. They're hospitable. They they are patient. All all these things. So, the man that really is qualified for this role is. There's not many of them. Not many of them. Yeah. And they have to know what they believe so that they can lead the church into a direction, the right direction, and they can disciple the flock. And not only that, but also so that they can 
what does it say? Rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. What, what verse was that, Sam? Verse 9. And also, so they're giving instruction in sound doctrine. What, also what else are they doing? They're also rebuking those who contradict it. Yeah. If, you, if your church doesn't take a stance on these doctrine, then how do you have the ability to rebuke those who contradict it? <laughs> you can't. You can't obey that then. It's ridiculous. You have to take a stance, and you have to have a, a, a leadership of elders who are united on these things. And then he, he even goes on to say that some of these people in your congregation or in your community and stuff, they're, 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 uh, they're empty talkers and deceivers. They don't know what they're talking about. And he says, you have to silence them. So you got the only way you can silence them and do this is if you know what you believe. If you have cut the log straight, you're firm, you're solid. I mean, man, is that important. Oh, do I get all fired up about this? <laughs> I couldn't tell. <laughs> it's yeah, part I'm of sure the, nobody could tell. It's part of the reason I was chuckling. I'm listening to you get kind of fired up about this. <laughs> I was preaching a little bit there, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were. You're getting excited. No, no, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah. You know, and it's a humbling thing that, to sit here and talk about it because, um, you know, we have to work, even us, Sam and I, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, like, you know, God's called us. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but Peter talks about the same thing, about these elders, you know, exhort elders. Uh, but the thing that always strikes me is when the, uh, they are to be examples of the flock. Yeah. examples of the flock and it's a serious calling is i think what we're saying and sometimes right. in ministry you, you you grab the first person that comes to the line because they say they really want to do ministry but you want to ask them the question well you know um talk to me about what you know about some doctrines talk to me about where you've seen god use you uh who are some people that you've seen come to christ and where are they at today what's their discipleship look like what's your yep. prayer what's your prayer life look like what how what what areas of sin have you seen God work in your life, and you've seen some great sobriety and conquering in those areas. Uh, yep. There's a lot of that that needs to unfold, right? I mean, we're kind of right. getting, getting off. That's getting why off. we have this ordination process. Yeah, and we're getting off of our original conversation now. But I think what we're saying is that if we're going to have unity, true unity, yep. it, has, it has to be grounded in doctrine. Right. And it has to be grounded in men who know their doctrine. Right. And the more that you wrestle with doctrine and the more you wrestle with the scripture, there's a sense in which um, you're moving more into the conformity of Christ. Right. Who is and, the head. Who is the head. And, yep. uh, and uh, you gain more unity, not less. Exactly. And so the idea of unity is this postmodern mushiness of we're just not going to weigh in because we, you know, weighing in causes conflict. Um, right. That's not the answer. It's just not nope. the answer. That's not the nope. answer. Doesn't fit reality, nor does it fit the scriptures. No, and it just doesn't work. I mean, we're watching, and again, on a, a kind of a different level, you're watching yep. that culturally. Think about it. We're living in a culture, a postmodern culture, which means that yep. we really can't know truth. You think of relativism, but we really can't know it. We all have our biases. I can't understand a certain type of person. They can't understand me. We're all locked up yep. um, in our own little locked up worlds we can't understand each other and that notion that backdrop of our culture look what it's creating oh man it's creating 
a crisis and yeah it can't work you would be better off with groups of people say no this is what i believe and hold to let me right. again let me hear your argument and let's have a real debate so on a practical level that would go to even e- evangelism though we're not talking about that but when i think of the open public square you know, mm-hmm. the, the university where everybody actually, I don't know if some of your people think of this, some of the people listening to this, like I would be an advocate of an, what I call an open public square. Yeah. Like, like I would like the university to say, no, anybody can come to the table here and put down what they think. Right. If you're an atheist, come here, give me your argument. If you're a, a Muslim, come here and give me your argument. Like right. put, put it on the table. But I equally should be able to come to the table and put down the argument on the table. Right. But has anybody noticed what's been happening? It's the public square is going away. You can't come to the table and say certain things because no, unless you align with the specific grain, right? Which then becomes a totalitarian. Yep. Idea. A oh monomania. man! If you don't agree with this idea, you can't come to the table. Yep. We censor you, and yep. you have to align with this. And it's it is an unbelievable. It's serious. Concept. It's happening it's today. Happening. But again, it's happening in the context of a backdrop of a culture that says. That there is no such thing as truth. <laughs> yeah, and, and and doctrine is the problem, and coming up and with a line, line yeah. of objective, objective, yeah. absolute truth is actually the conflict of the problem. No, 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 yeah. no. It's the opposite. It's the right. opposite. Right. Again, I would rather come to the table, and again, I picked it up a few days ago, and I just love it. Um, you you can't split much, uh, rotten wood. You yep. like no. Oh, that's com- good. I want to come to the table with the and I have this. This is what's fascinating is I have and b- by the way this is fascinating that you you have atheists if I could use that term atheist people in the academy university yep. professor that are atheists that agree with me on this. I agree with them on this. Like I would rather come to the table and argue with you. Yeah. At least you I realize you don't agree with my conclusions. Right. But I don't agree with your conclusions. Now we can interact about it. We can wrestle yeah. with it. And what are the reasons why we came to this conclusion? Yeah, stuff? and so you can do it. Um, you can't do that with the postmodernist. It's it's being removed. And so think about this again now. I suppose Sam, because of the podcast, and we went way over time. I bet. But oh, this is normal for us. Okay, but the but the issue <laughs> is here's the issue, right? Like, let's come back full circle. What we're saying, um, yeah. What are we saying? We're saying that. Um, this backdrop of the postmodern mushiness that we can't really know truth and we shouldn't argue about doctrine is is creating a far worse problem. Oh, man, it's perpetuating it, the issue. It, it's chaos. And yep. what the scriptures are telling us about unity is unity is found in doctrine, in truth, that you pursue, yep. that you pursue. Yep. And yep. the more you pursue it, the closer we get to one another. Right. The closer we can go, okay, I'm going to stick with here today on my conscience, but I understand where you came from on your side. Right, I get it. Right. I get it. I, right. I, I actually do get it. Right. And, and I can actually get along with you, and we can keep wrestling about this one issue in humility and tolerance, in knowing that I probably have a couple things in life that I overstate yep. and a couple things I understate, and you do yep. the same thing. Uh, but fundamentally, we agree on almost everything here. Look at, and yep. um, but we have some differences, and they're both got to be wrestled out and worked out. So, yep. I don't know if we can say more than that, but we can't. No, I think that's, I, that's I, exactly I think, what I was saying. That's right. Exactly I, what... I think where I was going to, what I was, I lost my mind there for a moment. What I was trying to say though is, this is again the problem with the church. We've been called to be a separate people, 
And God yeah. has spoken to us about how to handle this stuff. And what we're doing is we're accepting ideas without even contemplating it. We're, we're, we're taking ideas from the culture and bringing it into the church. Exactly. And we have become really, we have really dumbed down the church. Oh, man. We have dumbed it well, down terribly. What, terribly. We, what we've made it like, and uh, Tom Patton said this, is we've, the American church is juvenile. Yeah, there you go. Infants, babies, children. And how do children think and act? They they think and act. They make decisions emotionally. Yeah. Um, and their emotions guide them and lead them. And and we are to grow up out of being. And that's what Paul says here. Yeah. No longer be a child tossed to and fro. Yeah. For every wind of doctrine led by our emotion. Well, look what he says. Wind of doctrines. Winds wind of, of doctrine. Teachings. Yes. Exactly. Teachings. Teachings. And this is the problem. I. And again, let's go way back to our first session. That's what I was asking that group of pastors. Like, okay, you guys are praying for unity. What's it mean? What, what are you looking yeah. for? And nobody really could answer it for me. Right. And I want to go away. If, if we don't know what it is, we certainly can't get there. Right. And uh, anyway. Yep. No, that's exactly right. That's, that's been my... Well, it, I mean, honestly, it's been... Again, I'm young. I, I'm gonna assume. I'm going to assume that this will be one of the burdens that stays on me for a lifetime of this. Uh, I I just really it burdens me this idea that we need to be doctrinally superficial and inch deep, mile wide, and we can't take stances on this. And and it's just like, what are you talking about? What on earth are you talking about? God has given us a book with doctrine and teaching. He he commands us to know it, to learn it, to love it, to eat it, yeah. to meditate on it, to to store it up in our hearts, to understand it in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to learn it, to love it. Like, come on, like, to teach it to each other, to write it on our doorpost, to teach it to our children. Like, it's our life. Mm -hmm. And you're going to say, uh, we've, we've defined these essentials now, so we need doctrine. We need doctrine because we need the essentials so that we know we're Christians, but... After that, we don't need doctrine. What? <laughs> and we need unity because unity is a doctrine of the scriptures. But I'm just going to choose to accept the unity doctrine that's given to me in the Bible, but not the doctrine of God's ultimate sovereignty and salvation. I don't like that one. So I'll take the unity doctrine, but not the God's sovereignty in all things doctrine. Like, what? <laughs> oh, man. I almost got to stop it there. Otherwise, I'll go off another tangent. Oh. <laughs> And again, impartiality. We, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. You're fun to watch on this stuff. We are imp impartial <laughs> to doctrine. Yeah. Like, it's not pick and choose what I like in the Bible and what I don't like. No, all doctrine, all scripture is God-breathed. Yeah. All scripture. And if it if the Bible tells me that God has predetermined who he was going to save and who he wasn't going to save, well, that's a doctrine that I got to love. And... Again, I could go down. <laughs> I'm going down a tangent. Go back and listen to the uh, podcast episodes on the doctrines of grace if you want to know what I mean by that. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> but man, we're almost we're getting close to two hours, Dan. So we gotta cut it off. I actually have some other things to do today. Yeah, I know. Oh man, here we go. Look at but, us. But this but, was uh, but this was good. Uh, it was fun, and yeah. I hope you. Uh, 
again, my hope is again that you're listening and you learn something or make you think about something maybe that you haven't considered before. At least, I mean, my whole goal is that we get you into the scriptures and you really do dive into the Bible and see uh, what the Bible teaches and you would learn to love the truths of scripture. Uh, and that's why this is called the Preach and Persuade podcast. We're, we're preaching the whole counsel of God. We're preaching the truths of scripture. And we're persuading you, really, <laughs> persuading you to to love the truths of Scripture. That's why it's called preach and persuade. So hopefully yeah, <laughs> that happens. Well, they, I think they got they, by listening to you, Sam. Particularly, they definitely got the preach part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now it's up to uh, the Holy Spirit to uh, enact well, the persuasion. <laughs> and you're definitely trying to persuade. Yes, which certainly. I am, which I am too. Yes, certainly. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> no, no, this is powerful stuff. I was with a pastor this morning, and he really intrigued me, a younger pastor that I'm very impressed with. And he was talking about wrestling through the scriptures on marriage and divorce. Yep. And he came to the conclusion, you know, that uh, uh, you shouldn't get remarried. You know, that's adultery, right. that's adultery, which is a position that a lot of uh, biblical people have come to by studying right. the scripture. And uh, I'm not here to debate that right now. I, I mean, I think he, he's come to a really strong and good conclusion. The point that I found interesting is he said, I almost didn't like coming to the conclusion because I have people in front of me, young 20-some-year-olds that are having a terrible marriage. Yep. And I have to be honest with them and say, but this is what God says. Yep. Because it sort of feels like just divorce and move on would be easier for them. Yeah, it feels that way to them, and on the face of it, it looks like that would be easier, and it would be easier to say that I would be more liked. <laughs> you know, he said they, somebody would like me more. Yeah, but I have to yep. be honest with you. I have studied the scripture. I will give you all the right. scriptures. I will show you how I came to the conclusion I came to. Right. And I have to give you the counsel of God. This is what the scriptures say. I can't just now insert my feelings and ideas or things that means you would like me more if I said what you want me to say. Right. Right. But I was deeply impressed with uh, his conviction of integrity. There it is. Integrity. Integrity of the scripture. And it's like, yep. yep. So even yep. if I disagreed, even if I work through those scriptures and I say, huh, I see a little bit different here. But again, an overread or underread, not a counter read. At least I can appreciate the fact that a man's willing to stand and say, here's where I am. Convince me I'm wrong. Yeah. With the scriptures. With, with the scriptures, yeah. yeah no, no, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Right. Show me where I missed the argument here. Show me right. in the scriptures where I right. missed this. Right. And uh, man, and I think people are scrambling and looking for that. Now, there's a false one out there. There's a false view of this out there. This is, I've been thinking the whole time, particularly the last probably half hour, how many people think, say, well, that's why I left Protestantism and I bet Roman Catholicism because that answered the question. They have a magisterium that gives me the final answer. Yeah, the Pope is overall. Yeah, well, that becomes another whole problem is now you have a new authority. That's the fundamental problem there. Yeah. And you have a new authority that's beyond Scripture. Right, a new a new, right. new canon, a new authority that you're putting your trust in. Right, and I couldn't put my trust in that authority. I no, I see too much, you know, frailty, fallibility, wrongness, changing, right, uh, areas of c conclusions that don't align with Scripture. That I actually would open up the Scripture right. and go to you. I know you say you believe the Scripture, but the Scripture doesn't teach this. 
right? You have to pretty square. And, so, go ahead. And you sir. look at the history of the Catholic Church, and they want to they want to tout this or toot this uh, this uh, consistency or uniformity. Um, this, uh, and you look at century to century with different popes. They make different decisions. Yeah, they yeah. they say different things. They they invent different doctrines. There's plenty of doctrines in the Catholic Church that are not as old as the Catholic Church truly is. Mm-hmm. It's because they were invented later on. <laughs> yeah. So again, and that's the case of not being anchored in the one faith, the doctrines of the Scriptures. Yeah, uh, that's the issue. by God. And I think that's but, the issue. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's the issue. So let's let's stop it there. Um, I think this will go down so far as the longest podcast episode we've done, but Hey, we're, we're, uh, we like setting records, <laughs> but hopefully you enjoyed listening to this one. Uh, I know we enjoyed, uh, doing it as you can probably hear by our voice inflections and tones <laughs> and our yelling, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so hopefully you learned something. Um, and if you have enjoyed it, I really encourage you to share it with a friend or someone else. Um, but yes, thanks for listening. Bye.